out of all of you who would want to be featured on the podcast. <laughs> that would be Paco Arismendi on stage at the last I Make a Living event we had in Austin. Tonight, we actually want to try something. It's an experiment that may work or may not work. What's going to happen is we're going to pick one business out of all of you, and RM has volunteered to do a consultation. So we're going to record a whole conversation between you and RM, and we're going to talk about your business, try to help you uh, establish a plan, develop a strategy, and all that's going to be part of our episode on developing your business. So very excited. RM is a professional business consultant. So, yeah, today we're talking about developing your business and actually how to pivot when you hit a roadblock. Welcome to the I Make a Living podcast. Okay, who here has started a business in the last three months or has the intention of go full-time entrepreneur in the next six months? Okay, so it's about 10 of you. Okay, that's perfect. For a while now, Paco and I have been planning an episode on diversifying your business. We wanted to document the story of an individual who had just started their business and what it looked like to establish diversification in the initial steps of development. But the story we ended up capturing was much more specific. Someone who was forced to diversify due to external issues outside of their control. So we briefly discussed the general idea of diversification and offer a few tips on starting your business, but the meat of this episode is really on pivoting. Having an idea, a set plan for your business, and finding out it's not going to work for some reason or another. So back to the story of us choosing someone from the I Make a Living event. We didn't know how it was going to go, but the whole process in finding this one person to feature sounded fascinating and definitely worth recording. Okay, so we're going to try and make this as short and concise as possible. This is your microphone, so if you want to keep it about this length from your face. So I'm going to ask you two questions. Sure. Try and keep them maybe 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. Immediately after the event, we ushered several people upstairs to a makeshift recording room we set up in the green room and asked them to pitch their businesses. It felt a little like a low-key Shark Tank episode. What is your business or the business that you want to develop? Sure. I'm the founder of StagePass. It's yourstagepass.com. It's an experience marketplace for creatives to list experiences for their audience. I own a beauty salon in Austin, Texas. We are Blink Beauty. We are one of the first pretty much exclusive lash extension business in um, East Austin. Now there's a ton of competition. My business venture is Zenbug Yoga, which is a children's on-site yoga program for after-school and enrichment programs at pre-Ks, elementary schools, middle schools, and high schools. Uh, we're Fried Hustle which is a creative agency specializing in branding and events. Currently, I run the, the director of marketing for a software biz, and we develop mobile apps and custom software. We are now starting a new company in which I'm going to run. It's going to be a marketing agency that is going to serve those clients as well as others with on digital marketing needs. I have started East Austin Culinary Studio. It is cooking classes and a photography studio. All in one. And what is it that you're looking for as far as business advice or help from RM, who was one of the people on the panel? Sure. So direction and uh, thoughts about how I could get feedback from creatives and then scaling, obviously. 
I think one of the things that we struggle with, and this was a topic that was discussed tonight, but just like, you know, getting paid what you're worth and really being able to ask for that money. And also just how to really be us in this market without diminishing ourselves or like literally our first post on our social media was like this blingy background and a chicken nugget. Like that's who we are. That's our branding. Okay. We wanted okay. to go all out. With we're it, fried hustle. We're going to go yeah. fried. You know? Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think for us, we're looking for more scalability issues, right? And so we have a very grand vision of what that could look like. And for us, it's how do we infiltrate outside of our particular areas. Right now, we're sort of doing the thing where, you know, on the software side, we've had success in, in all sorts of different clients, and now we're getting really focused on who we want as clients. We don't really have the mobility to be like, oh, yeah, we want this specific person on clients. So, Wayne, like, should we just get whoever and figure it out, foot in the door? Or should we be super laser-focused and narrow-focused on just these niches that we want to play in? I think I have the biggest problem with pricing and presenting pricing and how to move that forward and being comfortable with being uncomfortable because I'm just super uncomfortable having to like list prices. And last but not least, there was Misha, who, spoiler alert, we ended up choosing. My name is Misha Farzaneh and I'm a textile artist. I started making handmade macrame wall treatments, custom pillows last year and started to be a full-time maker this year, but then unfortunately had carpal tunnel start to form in my right hand oh, no. as of two months ago. And so been looking for new revenue streams, started making some jewelry and reselling some really beautiful vintage rugs. So currently I'm trying to keep everything under the textile art bubble, but yeah. Wow, okay, yeah. so what kind of advice are you looking for right now as you continue to transition? Making smart decisions about when I'm you know, focusing on these new revenue streams, putting my efforts and my time in the right direction and not just you know, trial and error aimlessly and blindly to see what works and what doesn't because I am a full-time maker now and it really matters what I'm putting my money towards. We ended up talking to some really great businesses. It's people like these that remind me why I love working on podcasts for entrepreneurs. Everyone's excited and passionate about what they're putting out in the world. It's quite inspiring, really. So as I already mentioned, sorry for the spoiler, we ended up picking Misha to join the interview. For a 30-second pitch, her story sounded too intriguing to pass up. I am R.M. Harrison. I'm a career pivot consultant, and I work primarily with ambitious women to help them navigate change when they're feeling stuck and unfulfilled in their careers. If you've ever been to one of the I Make a Living events, you'll know that we usually have a panel of speakers who are successful entrepreneurs from whatever city we're in at the time. RM was one of the speakers in Austin. We contacted her the night before the event and asked if she'd be up for this spontaneous podcast idea. And... She agreed to it. We ended up doing two interviews with her, one with just her and I on best practices for starting full-time self-employment, which I'll play for you a little later, and this one between Misha, RM, and myself. Okay, so let's start. Misha. 
Yes. Okay. <laughs> Misha. Okay. So Misha, I got a little bit of what you do by the 30 seconds that you shared. <laughs> <laughs> Can you share a little bit more in depth now? Sure. What is it that you do or what did you do? Because I find it fascinating that you went from doing something that you loved and then you had to kind of pivot because of life situation. Can you share a little bit about what you did and what happened? Sure. Actually, everything has kind of been triggered by different life situations for me. Um, So basically, over the course of about two years, I've undergone three foot surgeries. Wow. That were done incorrectly. And basically, I was stuck in bed. I couldn't really do much for long periods of time. Oh, wow. um, Started trying different things like fiber art basically covers like weaving and macrame and punch needle and bright things you can do sitting down. Yeah. And that really sparked my interest and I became really passionate about it and people started asking me if they could have a piece made by me and over time it started to gain momentum and then it catapulted me into this world of being a full-time maker as of March 2019 and Basically, also this year, I have a new problem, which because I have been using my hands so much, I've started to form carpal tunnel in my right wrist, making it very difficult for me to work on my pieces for even like an hour or two at a time. And the next day, I feel a lot of inflammation, and it's hard to even like open bottles, basically. And so I had to take a step back and reevaluate because it's not sustainable for me to build a business around something that one requires me to be in the studio 24 hours making the products myself and something that's going to jeopardize my health it's just not worth it so I've tried to dabble into some jewelry making which is less of an impact on my joints As of this month, I've also started finding wholesalers for really beautiful vintage rugs, which are still in the whole handmade textile art bubble, but they're just not my own. I still really, really love the macrame and the custom pillows, and I'm still taking on those commission pieces, but I give them like a six to eight week gap of when I'll have that finished by. Yeah, sure. Because, you know, it's just not something I can do as steadily as I was before. So yeah, yeah, that's kind of what's going on right now. And so for you, where's the future of your business going? So that's kind of what I've been trying to figure out, you know, because I thought it was going one direction and now I'm having to switch gears a little bit. But Ultimately, I would love to be more involved in like the home design realm where like I would even, I'm actually working with some manufacturers overseas on some designs that I want to have mass produced. One of them I've tested and people have responded very well to it. And that first shipment is actually going to be coming in soon. But I want to be able to make it scalable. So that way I have products that sell themselves that are my design, but They don't require me to be in the studio at all times doing the work. I've done all the work in a different way. And then I want to be able to have stockists and be in stores and have my own name in this, like, design world. Yeah. Work with interior designers and make a name for myself in that industry. Yeah. Okay. That's what I would love to do. Yeah. (laughs) And what was it like going through your experience of putting so much effort and time and passion into doing things like macrame and creating things and creating this business. But then already you had so much adversity with 
not even be able to to walk. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden now you can't use your right arm, I'm falling your right apart. hand. <laughs> How was that? How was that? It's so disappointing and it can be really like it's hard to stay positive sometimes because you just feel like you've set your heart on like making this thing work and how you envisioned it to go and now you physically are not able to complete the tasks necessary to make that dream happen. Mm. And so it's kind of like an identity crisis also because like, well, if I'm not a fiber artist, then what am I? And like, I built this platform where like everyone, you know, I finally am called an artist now and everyone identifies me as that. And now I'm going to switch gears all of a sudden. And it's been a lot of highs and lows emotionally to yeah. be totally honest. Yeah. And what has been the number one thing that you've learned from it? Um, it's not the end of the world. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I think that, you know, sometimes things happen for a reason in order to push us in a different direction. And I think in a way, if my ultimate goal is to have something that is scalable and, you know, something that I don't have to be doing physically 24-7. Maybe it wasn't the worst thing that could have happened to me. Okay. You know, maybe this was the push I needed to go in that direction. Okay. So. Yeah, and speaking of which, so we also have RM here. So RM, if you guys could have a chat about what it would look like to scale your business, Misha, what type of advice would you give her? So you guys can start having a conversation and then I'll just be the one listening. Well, first of all, Misha, thanks so much for being with us tonight. And thank you for opening up and sharing about your experiences. I know how hard it can be to be vulnerable about things, especially when you're feeling a little bit disappointed about the way things are turning out. There are so many people who are makers and whatever, you know, kind of right or respect who are, whether literally or kind of hypothetically, being faced with this exact same decision. What if I'm no longer physically capable of doing the thing that I make a living doing? What's going to happen to me? Or how am I going to be able to make it? And so I'm glad that you're self-reflective and self-aware to be having this conversation with yourself, like, okay, it's okay to change. It's not the end of the world. You know, there's something else I can be doing. How can I make this work? Because some people would just give up, right? Some people would just be like, ah, well, I guess I'm not doing that anymore. So I just applaud you for your tenacity and your desire to figure it out. Thank you. So my first question for you is, what do you enjoy most about this work? Is it the designs that you are able to come up with and how creative they are and the reception that people have of that finished product? Or is it the needle to point, if you will, art and sort of craft of doing this work? Is it okay to say both? (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, I would say, of course, both, but ultimately just like creating the design, seeing it come to life. I think, yeah, definitely design side. Yeah. Okay. So the next question then what are the primary products that are being sold now of what you've made? Like, what do those look like? They vary. So right now I have these fuzzy rug pillows and they're fuzzy. They're like rugs. They're Uh not like fabric. They're Mm. like cuddly, fluffy pillows. Mm -hmm. And then I was hit with so many requests for them Mm -hmm. because I had an industrial rug tufting gun and I was making them from scratch Mm -hmm. in my studio 
then I decided to go towards more of like a manufacturing side and mm-hmm. get them properly made. So that's one. And then wall hangings. So macrame pieces, mostly commission work now, but I do have my passion projects that I make for my own personal creativity. And I sell those on my website. But recently, lots and lots of jewelry. I didn't realize how much I loved working with clay. And so I'm able to be very creative and still like have really beautiful designs and without putting too much strain on you know, yeah. my hands. Yeah. But, but recently, of course, the vintage drugs, which has been a big hit, which I actually really enjoy sourcing and selling. All right, cool. That gives me a good enough amount of insight about you and sort of what your interests and priorities and values are related to this work, but work in general. So the first thing that I would suggest is to kind of think about what your business revolves around. You've got this online presence, so it sort of starts with seeing it online, and then the rest is commission-based. So maybe someone has seen your work somewhere and they're like, oh, I want you to make something for me. Yeah, I would say like 95% of my commission requests are through Instagram. Okay, all right, very nice. So if that model is working for you with sort of the e-commerce I would say definitely stick with that, like stick with what's working when it comes to that. I like that you're already looking at like the mass production. But one thing I would consider, building an element into your business model that involves some teaching and training for other people, like skill development. There are a couple of cool companies. One is, I believe it's Noonday Collection. I, I hate that I'm like messing up their name. But they have this model where they employ women in other countries to create these products that they sell. And so it's empowering women in communities to create money for themselves who otherwise don't have access. I mean, what's great is that so you can create these designs and the part that you love the most about the work, you know, it is the designs. So you can give these designs to these makers and whether you're teaching them or just sort of empowering them to create. And you're also able to see your work put out in the world in a way that doesn't require you to personally be doing that. That is great advice. I did not even know that was a thing. (laughs) And so what's cool about that approach is, I mean, you could have classes where, you know, anybody from the community could come and, you know, spend some money and, and learn, but you could seek funding and other kinds of capital to be able to pull this model off. Yeah. So it's not like you're just giving these free classes or, you know, whatever. Like, you know, you can support yourself in starting this and teaching people and helping them get set up with their businesses and things like that to basically create these products for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but and, and it can still be a profit model, which is really great. So yeah. you're essentially teaching them how to work for you and create a quality product for you. Um, and then the money comes back to your business as well as to these individuals, which is really great. It's almost like sort of creating an ecosystem, mm-hmm. essentially. Companies like Noonday, I believe they partner with women in other countries, but there are plenty of women right here in Austin hmm. who won't have access to employment opportunities sure. that might traditionally be available to, to other people. If they need to learn a trade or a skill yeah. and they can kind of create their own opportunity by doing that, Like you could just tap right into the community. And I'm pretty sure that the Austin city government will support you in any way for 
helping to create this kind of economic development right here in the city. And you could kind of do the same thing with the jewelry, you know, um, whether you're making it or teaching other people mm-hmm. how to, you know, you're just doing the designs and teaching other people how to create it for you in a similar way. I like that there is a diversification there in the types of products that you're offering. And even with the rugs, by the way, like what I like is that you don't necessarily have to make this product to sell it. Yeah. So I do like that you have these different opportunities for earning that don't necessarily require you to create something and Mm -hmm. put something out just to get money in. The only other thing I would suggest is if you were to sort of make this like the, you know, interior collection or the home collection, maybe replacing the jewelry with something else that might be kind of similar. You mentioned that you like to create things with clay. Yeah, like wall hangings and wall pieces that incorporate clay. Yeah, fiber. yeah. Yeah. So like this could become a collection and all of it doesn't necessarily have to be designed, you know, or created by you. Right. But if what people are coming for is like home solutions. Yeah. Right. Then you're kind of the source. So, you know, they can get the things that are designed by you. That that would be the dream. Yeah. But then they're also getting access to other makers, like the people who create these rugs and, you know, some of the other products. And in that way, you're monetizing many different products. Yes. But you don't necessarily have to be making them all just for it to be like part of your collection. Right. I love it. Let's get started. (laughs) Right? Let's do it. Let's Let's do do it. Okay. So how are you feeling about that? I feel wonderful. Um, It helps kind of create a clear vision of how to get to my end goal, basically, but in a way that benefits everyone. Yeah. Um, I love that. That's great advice. Thank you. It was neat to hear about Misha's small business and the ways that she can sustain it without relying on her physical capabilities to do so. And as interesting as the conversation was, and it really was, we recognized Misha was in a unique situation that not everyone can relate to. So as I mentioned before, we also had a separate conversation with RM. She gave some pretty good direction for those who want to go into full-time self-employment or already have. So let's see. How comfortable do you feel? Do you feel okay? Yeah, I think this is about as comfortable as I'm going to get holding a mic to my face. You know, <laughs> I understand. So, yeah. so I have a lot of questions for you. All right. The first one I have is, when do you know that you're ready to quit and start your business? You never really know that you're ready. But I think for most people, they feel the inclination to make a move. And maybe what they're worried about is, how can I sustain my livelihood and pursue this business. You are, I guess, set up for success when you know you have a plan for what this next year of your life is going to look like. And you feel confident at the very least that it's an informed, educated plan that you can execute. Okay. And are there any essentials that you need to have in place Mm -hmm. before you quit? You need some money. Okay. My God. Um, so what's hard is you also have to kind of look at your the priorities that are going on right now in your life. When I started my first business, I was single. I didn't have any kids. So I had a pretty minimal lifestyle in that, like, I 
could scale back on things to focus my energy and my effort and my money on my business. Not everybody has that same circumstance. So if you're married or you have a partner or you have kids or you have other obligations that you're, you know, financially responsible for that you can't just, you know, scale back on and walk away from, then you kind of want to make sure that you have at the very least six months worth of those expenses saved up and ready to go. Understanding that that's going to be probably the fastest six months of your entire life. (laughs) Um, But yeah, at least six months of savings. And honestly, even if you can scale back on everything, have that saved up, um, trusting that hopefully by the the six-month mark, you'll somehow be monetizing something, even if that means having a part-time job just to kind of cover the basis. But you know that once that money runs out, something else, another source of income is kicking in to support what you're trying to do. Once you make that leap, Mm -hmm. is there a way to ensure that finances are coming in that you won't fear running out of money? I think that you have to be really flexible about your approach, right? So, and this is going to depend entirely on the business that you're starting. If you are starting a service-based business, that's probably the easiest business to monetize because it's just you. It's just your skills. It's just what you have to offer. If people will hire you to do the work, then, you know, you can just kind of get started. There's really nothing else to be built or developed. So let's assume that it's a service-based business. That probably is the easiest way to go here. So you want to think about what the next six months, if you're saying that you're using your savings for the first six months, what the next six months are going to look like and how much you need to have to make sure you're able to kind of cover your bases. All of your plans about what you're doing how you're pricing your services, how many clients you need to get in the door, all of that stuff will be based on that number. So you have to get clear on what your number is and then make your plans, your pricing, all those things based on that and then figure out where the gaps are. Maybe, um, you know, three months in, you realize that you're not going to reach that target. What can you do? Can you get a part-time job? Can you sell some things on eBay. Like you you kind of have to get creative and, and thoughtful about what it's going to take to kind of fill the gap if you're not going to hit that number. But yeah, beyond that, I don't know that there is any real guarantee. Again, as I said, be strategic, be thoughtful about where you need to be, but be willing to pivot. And that doesn't necessarily mean change the business, change the plan of the business itself, but be willing to take on something that may not be the ideal right now just to be able to cover the bases. And I'm trying to think, who's the company? I just read about these guys and how they started, where they kept getting jobs, basically. They kept getting consulting jobs that were kind of remote. And so like, it didn't require a lot of their personal time necessarily, but they took these jobs so they could cover the bills because they knew like they still needed to invest in the business. They still needed to keep roofs you know, over their heads. Yeah, and it took them years of kind of going through that cycle, quitting their jobs to focus more on the business and then getting jobs again to be able to pay the bills until they got to the point. And I can't remember whether they got funded or whether they, you know, things just started to pick up. Well, what I'm hearing from you is that there is a need to potentially diversify your income, diversify your business. So I am hard set on my idea. Mm -hmm. As an entrepreneur, I like have this idea that I love Mm. and I don't want to diversify my business. (laughs) What would you suggest for them to do? 
Well, is it essential? Is it needed? To diversify? Yeah, absolutely. That's a hard yes. You definitely need to diversify. Honestly, it's one of the things I wish I had done when I started. Okay. Only because it's kind of like the whole saying goes, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Sure. If you are so focused on this one thing working out this one way, then one, you could be sort of cutting off your earning potential. But two, you could be missing other opportunities that are equally as lucrative, if not more, that could provide even more growth than this one thing that you've been so dead set on. So what I like to tell people with the business idea itself, get very clear on the outcome that you're trying to create with this business. What is the impact that this business is supposed to have? Being more mission focused about it means that you can be less rigid about exactly how it's going to look. And then you can be creative and thoughtful about what are the possibilities here? What is the simplest viable way that I can start? How can I sort of ramp up my efforts from there? What are some other elements involved in what I'm doing that I can monetize? And so you're looking at every possible angle to see where money can be generated from what you're doing. So it's not even so much as diversifying as in doing a bunch of random things just to chase money, but it's looking at what are all the sort of elements of earning potential that you can cultivate through what you're doing. In your opinion, as a professional in this space, do you think that full-time entrepreneurship is for everybody? Absolutely not. Okay, why? (laughs) And I want to be clear here. Anyone can, like anyone who has a desire, they can do it and they should try if they want to. But what I have learned in, God, what, eight going on nine years now of being an entrepreneur, not always full-time, is there is an element of, like, when you're still running a business, and, you know, it's a little bit different from owning a business, but when you're still running the business, there's that element of always being on, always thinking about what's the next opportunity, you know, where's the business going, making sure that you're always maintaining your baseline, if not growing, And it never ends. You can never just relax and chill Mm -hmm. about how things are going. There's always, you have to keep an eye to the future. You have to be cultivating the future of your business. If you're not thinking about three years from now, three years from now doesn't exist. (laughs) That is the honest to God truth. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard. You can enjoy it. You know, if you love what you're doing, you can certainly enjoy the process. But that is probably the hardest realization about full-time entrepreneurship is that it, it never really turns off and establishing boundaries and things like that with your time and whatever, like that is possible, but it's still, it's certainly not a job that you can leave at five and pick back up at nine the next day. It's, it's a constant thing. Okay. So what do you think is the hardest part about going full-time freelance? The hardest part, I think, is just getting the momentum to know that what you're earning in the business is not only covering your costs and expenses, but also supporting you. I feel like once you get to that point, it's not necessarily smooth sailing, but it does make it a lot easier to stay full time. But yeah, the hardest part is just getting to that point where you can take care of yourself. Once you cross that threshold, it's really about, again, just keeping an eye to the future of your business, making sure that you're clear about your numbers, that you're doing the work to get those opportunities in, that you're constantly, at the very least, meeting those numbers. And it's, again, not easy, but it you get better at being able to, to sustain it. 
And what should you be prepared for when you quit your job, both positives and negatives? Be prepared to have a lot of free time. And when I say free time, I mean now your time is entirely up to you to shape and control and build routine and structure and all of that around. And the positive thing is, if you are clear about like what you need to be doing to build this business and get things moving forward, then you'll know how to prioritize your time. You'll you know, and you'll you'll kill it. But if you're like me and <laughs> you had to learn time management as you went, um, then you'll find that it is a ton of freedom that can actually be really overwhelming. So you definitely have that to look forward to. (laughs) I guess on the negative though, like if you're highly invested in building your business, starting your business, which you should be, you realize kind of in the same vein of time, um, you realize that you don't have quite as much of it to give as you might have when you had a job and you had this income that you relied on, like no matter what, every two weeks or whatever, you've got this paycheck coming in. Now you have to be a lot more selective about where you're spending your time and where you're spending your money. You're always looking at that six-month marker like, oh my God, let me make sure I can make it. So um, if you haven't connected with people who understand what you're doing and who can support what you're trying to do, it can feel a little isolating because you realize you don't really have the time to do happy hours with your friends or, you know, things like that. So... Positives and negatives. Okay, yeah. Okay, so top three tips for someone who's just about to quit their job and go full-time. Build your client base before you leave your job. And whether that means that you're letting people know what you're doing and you're giving them your business cards, you're asking them for the referrals, or you're even you know scheduling meetings with people and sending proposals, whatever it is, build your client base first. If you could get those first four clients in the door. And again, I talk about service-based because that's what I know. Get those folks ready to start working with you. Like the day that you sort of flip that switch and, you know, and you're out the very next morning, you'll be starting with them. And because, again, momentum is one of the hardest things to build. The good thing is it's also hard to lose once you have it, but it's the one of the hardest things to build. So if you've got money in the pipeline before you even peace out at your job, then you know you're off to a really good start. So that would be the first tip. The second tip would be talk with a business consultant or a business coach or even just someone who has gone through that process before Get their insights about what their early experiences were, if they can remember it. Maybe someone who is established, but maybe not that many, you know, years ahead of you. And just kind of get some insight from people about what their experiences were, what mistakes to avoid, that kind of thing. It never hurts to hear from other people's stories and learn from other people's lessons. If you can avoid pitfalls... That would be ideal. (laughs) That would be ideal. Mm. And my third tip, temper your expectations about what this experience is supposed to look like. Mm. Trust that, you know, like this is your your path and it's going to be good no matter what. That the journey in going through this process and starting your business and, and having this experience, like the journey itself is equally as important as the outcomes you get, the successes, whatever. Be clear again about what you want out of this, what you're aiming for. And don't assume that the way you start is how it's going to end up. 
be flexible enough to sort of adjust the plan as you go to make it work. Build your client base, talk to a business coach, and temper your expectations. Those are some pretty good directives before jumping into full-time self-employment. And I would say those directives aren't specific to just starting your business. They can also help to maintain your business too, especially if you find you need to pivot. Not everyone is forced to change the trajectory of their business on such a large scale like Misha did, but it's important to be willing to do so. If something's not working in your business, it's your job to figure out how to make it work, even if that means abandoning an idea altogether and starting from scratch. That's not ideal, but it's also okay to pivot when necessary. I think that's one of the reasons why witnessing that conversation between Misha and RM was rather eye-opening. They were able to discuss what is most important to Misha and structure a new business plan based on what she prioritized. Yeah, her business will look quite different in the future, but the changes are necessary due to her life circumstances. So if you keep hitting roadblocks, it may be time to reevaluate what you're doing and why. Pivoting is an option. I would kind of also like to highlight the necessity of community here. Gathering with others who are in a similar process within their business is a good reminder that so many people don't have the whole entrepreneur thing figured out. We're all trying, sometimes succeeding and sometimes failing. But it's helpful to know there are more people on this crazy ride of self-employment than just you. So you should join us at the Next I Make a Living event we host in your city. They're free, and the whole purpose of the events are to remind us that we're all in this together. Hello. Uh, my name is Juan Bandana. I am a professional speaker who speaks at high schools, university campuses, and conferences. I help students make better decisions that will impact the world through leadership and action. And I help parents, professionals, educators, leadership within schools understand, connect, and influence the young people that they get to work with. I'm also the founder of The Good Effect, a training and curriculum program that helps students make better decisions while making an impact on their schools and community. That is done through a six-week mentorship program, as well as ongoing training for educators and parents to gain a deeper understanding on how to influence, inspire, and impact their teen or student. My biggest challenge currently is actually managing client follow-up. While being on the road so often driving to and from speeches, oftentimes getting on a flight to go to certain schools across the country, staying connected and interacting with clients uh, with warm leads is something that I'm tackling right now. So keeping on top of that. The moment I'm most proud of most recently is being able to double my income from last year in 2018 within Q1 and Q2 of this year, which got me so excited. Things are really starting to ramp up and I couldn't be happier about the trajectory of the business. And how can you connect with me online? There are two ways we can do that. One would be finding more information on what I do. You can see my promo video, the services offered, all of that sort of stuff. The speaking business at Juan, J-U-A-N, bandana, B-E-N-D-A-N-A dot com. That is my website. And if you would like to connect personally, we can connect on Instagram. That is where I hang out the most often. And my Instagram name is Juan, J-U-A-N, bandana, B-E-N-D-A-N. 
and A. And for those of you, because I know a lot of people in business are looking to get into speaking, shoot me a message. I would be more than happy to hop on a phone call or a little email thread and answer any questions that you may have. I think it's an amazing platform. I love it. I think if you were to try it, you would love it as well. If you'd like to be featured for Center Stage, there's a link on our website where you can record an introduction. Just go to freshbooks.com slash podcast. The I Make a Living podcast was brought to you by FreshBooks, the number one cloud accounting solution for small business owners and their teams. To learn more and get an exclusive offer, go to freshbooks.com slash podcast. If you want to attend an event, go to freshbooks.com slash events. A special thanks to R.M. Harrison for offering her coaching services for this episode. If you'd like to learn more about her services, you can find her information in our show notes. And thanks to Misha Farsenay for sharing her story and joining this spontaneous interview. You can also head to our show notes for more information on her. This podcast was made possible because of audio engineering and music composition by James Morris, co-production and direction by Paco Arismendi, and... I'm Darby Masters. Thanks for listening to the I Make a Living podcast. Podcast.